May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I guess as George has already mentioned in his prayer, I would seek your prayers. It, um, I don't think you ever feel qualified to come and speak like this, but sometimes it seems even less so. Uh, I don't know how you can get less than not at all, but some days it feels like that. For a text, I will turn to the book of Hebrews, to the 10th chapter. And I will read from the 16th verse through the 32nd. Hebrews 10, 16 to 32. Reading in Jesus' name. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more sore punishment suppose we shall he be thought worthy who hath trod underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance... Sorry, that... I'll end there. This starts out saying, This is the covenant that I have made with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. This comes from a promise that God made in the Old Testament. And we recognize that right from the beginning he has promised this new covenant. He has set up a number of covenants. He set up one with Abraham and made a promise to him. He brought the law. It speaks here in Hebrews also about that being set up and how Moses sprinkled the book and the people 
that covenant of the Old Testament law was brought into effect. But there has always been that promise of this new covenant that was set up when Christ came. When I guess maybe set up, we would say, when the when he died on the cross. It tells us here, it just happens that in my Bible here at the beginning of the previous page, it said it's speaking of death and testaments, testators. We know that Christ set up this New Testament. And it says, For where a testament is, there is also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise there is no strength at all while the testator liveth. And so we see part of why it was that Christ died. It was that he brought in to effect those promises that God had made. God made these promises to mankind beginning, we remember, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And basically we can say that the whole Bible points to Christ or explains what Christ has done because of the importance of the testament that he has brought in for us. This is the covenant, which is basically just another word for testament. And God has made this promise that when this comes, that he will put the laws into our hearts and into our minds, and he will write them there. And I believe that he does this basically through the his spirit. It tells us in John... Jesus is speaking and he makes that promise and says that he will go away but he will send that um, comforter. It says, but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's an interesting thing there, that this spirit is promised, and it doesn't leave anything out. It says he will teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance. And that we are to be at peace in that promise. And I think of people, I guess speaking mostly for myself, self, there's things that go on in life. And yes, I know, and often the answer is what it says many places in the Bible, that we are to just with patience wait and trust that God is in charge. And I can look into this word, and it encourages that. And yet my mind wants to understand the whys and the whens and all these things. And it is our human nature, and it can get us in trouble if we take those things. If we will listen to the Spirit, 
these laws of God, what he instructs us and what he directs us and what he encourages us and what he tells us that we should do and where we should put our focus and that we should be thankful and all these things, that spirit is quick to remind us of those and it keeps those things on our heart and it will direct our mind to look to those things because it is there because God has promised and as Christians we understand that and I believe that this next verse it ties in there in a number of ways it says in their sins and iniquities I will remember no more we walk on a daily basis with this sinful flesh that we have and as Christians we have that privilege of understanding that there's more to our being than just this natural life that there's a spirit there and that there's a soul there and that God has through his, his spirit made that spirit alive as Christians and the spirit of God dwells there and we are living beings spiritually and when we have that covenant, sorry, that covering of the blood of Christ, and we believe that this new covenant is in effect for me, we still see what we are. We deal with it on a daily basis. And the devil is very quick to bring that thought that how on earth can God care for you I'm sure that he has forgotten where you are. Just look at what you are. We understand and know that God requires complete purity, complete perfection. And if we look at ourselves, we don't have to dig very deep to recognize that we fall very far short of that. And yet, with this new covenant that is promised here, we have that promise that if we will turn to Christ, and it goes into more detail as we get down here, how it is that this sin that befalls us, we can deal with it. And we can remember this verse, that if we believe in what Christ has done, God says our sins and iniquities are not remembered anymore. And it is something that is beyond my understanding that, yes, he knows what we are, and yet he sees us as perfect and holy through what Christ has done. If we will but believe that, and we don't, I don't think we have to understand it because I don't know that we can. We can maybe understand it Partially, but let us just believe it. Believe that it is true because the Bible tells us that there is. It says, Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. We see even in some Christian circles today the thought of, and I'll say penance. And yes, we confess our sins, but then 
we are given some task to do to make payment for those things. And it's a very human thing to think about things that way. That there is something that we can do that helps pay for what we've done. And yes, I think there's times that if we have perhaps stolen something from someone that we would return it. But I think that there is a big difference even though I believe the devil and maybe our human reasoning and I don't know how sometimes those things they seem to work too closely together. They want to mix up those things that one, we understand that there is very often consequences and sometimes quite severe ones for sin. And we have to deal with those consequences. But that is a very different thing to adding something that we can do to make an offering to make payment for our sin. One is just the result and consequence of what happens when there's sin. And the other is something that we feel or are trying to do as payment. It says, and it is part of what we are encouraged to understand and believe, that in that new covenant that we are under, the blood of Christ was the payment for sin. Our sins are remitted. They're paid for. They're gone. There isn't anything that we can do to add a little bit to that. We can simply trust it to be so. We know in the Old Testament, and, and this is the writer of this book, it's obviously writing to the Hebrew people who would have very close understanding or deep understanding, probably more than any of us, of all those Old Testament laws and sacrifices that were to, that they were, which they were instructed to do to take care of sin. And yet, even as this book of Hebrews says that those sacrifices, they had to keep doing them over and over again because they were just, basically we could say, a reminder to those people of what was coming. That Christ was coming. And that that is what they were to put their faith in. That that sin was going to be covered by what Christ did. Not anything that they could come up with, even if it was instructed by God. I believe that that was simply that they could show that they believed what God said. We today are also to just simply believe what God says. Believe that this covenant that he has put in place is true and right. And that those things that he has promised, that he has put on our hearts and in our minds, that we are to listen to them. Listen to that still, small voice. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. 
we remember that in the Old Testament when Moses came down, even when he had viewed God and had that Old Testament covenant, that his face shone so the people, he had to put a veil over his face because the people were afraid of him. And we know that in the temple there was a veil in place to separate the holy from the holiest of holies. And that the high priest was only allowed to go in there once a year and then only with blood. And that he would be killed if he did not have blood to go in there with. Jesus came. And yet they didn't believe him. It tells us in one place that that veil is still in place when they read the Old Testament because they do not want to believe in Christ. They don't understand that he has came. It's interesting, I was talking to someone about the Lord's Prayer and they were looking through various different versions of it, if I say that. And there was one that says, May thy kingdom come soon. And it struck me that that's almost sacrilegious. Because we understand that that kingdom is here. He has set it up and we can dwell in it as his children and know that we are part of that kingdom. And yet, because of human reasoning, this flesh that we are, that veil for many is still in place. And that's what it tells us in that one place in the New Testament that even still Paul is saying that even still those Jews they struggle to believe that because of natural reasoning. Here it tells us that Jesus came and he made it possible for us to go into that holiest of holies because he crucified this flesh we put it that way. That veil, we remember, was torn from top to bottom when he died on the cross. And it is a picture that this flesh is over, has been overcome. It's a difficult thing sometimes on a daily basis to understand that because it very much wants to still have life and still be in charge of things and still be in control. And the devil is very busy trying to put that idea forth that, yes, we have to cater to this flesh and its whims and wants. And to some degree there is truth to that. We have to eat, we have to drink, we have to stay warm, all these things. But there's many things that this flesh that is very contrary to what God would want for us. And yet, Jesus has overcome that. We remember that he died on the cross. And that natural body was put in the grave. And yet, when Mary and then Peter and John went there to find him, it was gone. It arose a new body that could do things that we can't comprehend. 
but it is to show that this flesh is overcome. And we can simply trust that that is true and look to Christ and trust in this new covenant and trust in the leading and guiding of that spirit and listen to that still small voice. And that we are able to enter into that holiest of holies where the mercy seat is found. Why? Not because we deserve it, but because of the blood of Christ is the blood that we can bring. It says, enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ with boldness. And I don't know that we feel all that bold very often if we're coming with sin on our conscience to that mercy seat and seeking forgiveness. And I believe it is why we are encourage each other to believe those things forgiven in the name and blood of Christ. It isn't something that we can forgive people because we are human. But we can offer that forgiveness because we are children of God. Because that spirit dwells in us. Because we are told we are ambassadors that we could with authority preach that gospel message. And that message is that sin is taken care of through the blood of Christ because of what he has done. That payment is made for all of it. It says, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We understand from what the Bible tells us that Jesus is the high priest. He is the one that went in and shed his blood as payment. And we are encouraged. It tells us in the Old Testament there, when they set up the even that Old Testament covenant, when the priests were to do various sacrifices for sin, they would dip the hyssop in the blood and sprinkle the book and the people and the altar. And we were just talking about that in Bible study the other night, that it seems like a kind of a gory thing to do. And it doesn't really appeal to our reasoning. If we go into the New Testament, and I believe if we look at where it mentions that word hyssop in many places, I believe that it is speaking of the testimony that we give. And we would sprinkle that blood on people through the testimony of knowing that it is payment for sin. And that we have experienced it. It says that the husband must be first partaker of the fruit. Someone who's never experienced or never found need to have sought and received that blood of Christ as covering for their sin. How could they share it with someone else? You can't. 
It is something that we experience for ourselves, and we know it to be true then. And we know what it can accomplish and the peace that it can bring. And then we can give testimony of that to others. And we can do it with assurance. It says, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We know that we have a conscience. I believe that it is, maybe in one sense you could say that is what we were, I don't know what you say, blessed or cursed with when Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have that understanding of right and wrong. And our consciences are pricked when we do wrong because we, no matter who we are, understand that there is right and wrong. And as Christians, it says our hearts sprinkled. Sprinkled with what? With the blood of Christ that covers that. And it washes away those sins so we can be have that peace of a clear conscience before God. And we are to do it, it says, with full assurance. Not full assurance of our reasoning, but full assurance of faith. The Bible encourages us to walk by faith. Trusting in what, that these things are true. It says, in our bodies washed with pure water. We understand that this word of God is what it is that, and we can look at various places that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, you better wash my head and hands. And and he says, no, if I've washed your feet, it is enough. We understand that this natural flesh is never going to be clean and pure. But as we walk, if I say our feet get dirty, when we walk in this life, we make mistakes. We come in contact with sin. We are sinful beings. But we are encouraged to wash each other's feet. We are encouraged people to look into this word, to trust this word, to deal with those things and wash them away. And the word of God. We remember when Jesus <clears throat> died on the cross. And the soldier took and pierced his side with a spear. And said out came blood and water. That blood of Christ is in this word of God. In that pure water of the living word that is moving. And can move hearts. What do we find there? The blood of Christ speaking. That there is forgiveness if we will but trust in that. It says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. And then it tells us and gives us encouragement as to why we can hold fast to it. It says, for he is faithful that promised. God promised. We can read through this word of God and find where when God says something is going to happen, says something isn't going to happen, says that this is the way things are, it is so. 
He promised Adam and Eve, and it's thousands of years ago, even thousands of years before Jesus came, that he says, that's going to happen. It did. And I don't know why the one, and this is maybe just me, but and I share it maybe too often, but there's a place where the lady came and, and she washed Jesus' feet with her hair, and the Pharisee was kind of frowning upon the situation, and Jesus elaborates on it, but he says, makes this statement and says that what this woman has done, it will be spoken of till the end of time, wherever the word of God is spoken. And, and, and it's true. It's a very simple thing that, in one sense, we could say has no deep meaning, but we can see that it does, because it happened. When God says something happens, or this is how it is, it is so. It says, he is faithful that promised. We can believe these things to be so. We can take a hold of them. We can trust them completely. And we can deal with our problems with assurance and confidence that this is truth. said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We have this ability, I guess I could, should read the next verse here. It says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. I believe in the day and time that we live in now, we can take these words very much to heart. We look and we see things happening around us and they line up with what the Bible tells us is the end of time. We can read the apostles that walked with Jesus. They said things and that saying that we're in the end times. If they believed that we were in, they were in the ends of time, how much more us? And so, we are to gather. We are to fellowship. And it doesn't mean that we have to, it doesn't say in large numbers. It might be just two, or three, or four, or what we have here. It's that we would take the time to encourage one another. Most oftentimes, in maybe it's just in my head, but it says here, considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Most of the time we think of provoking someone as being a bad thing. And we can see it with people, we can see it with little ones, that they just, someone has a toy and they provoke to try and cause a problem because they want it, or whatever the situation is. Provoking doesn't have to be a bad thing necessarily. Provoking just means to instigate or to push someone towards something. Provoke a reaction. We are to push people, encourage people, support people. Do what we can that they could feel the love of God. <clears throat> and it says in good works that we would be kind and caring to one another. 
not because it makes us a better person, not because it makes us a better Christian, but simply because we are a Christian, because we are a child of God. And that is how the Spirit of God would desire us to be. That we would be loving towards others. Not that we would just always feel warm and fuzzy and and hug them and care, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that we would prayerfully, when we see someone in whatever situation they are, that our actions towards them would be the best for their undying soul. And that always isn't always easy to do, and it isn't always warm and fuzzy. And sometimes it's a hard enough, hard thing to care enough for someone to confront them in the proper manner. It's easy to get angry with someone and confront them or just ignore what's happening. And I believe that we very much need the leading and guiding and strength of the Spirit of God to speak to someone in a manner about something that is concerning for their soul salvation. But that we would have that heart and trust that the Spirit can give us that. And as it says, so much the more as we see the day approaching. And it doesn't matter whether it's that day when Christ returns or sometimes we see someone and it's pretty clear that they're near the end of their life. This body is failing. And sometimes their days are very short. If we see that, that we would encourage them. It says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. This is a sobering piece of scripture. It's saying that when we have experienced what the blood of Christ can do for us, and then we would just willfully go and sin when we know what the truth is, it's a dangerous thing. Because what else are we going to do? (coughs) Excuse me. It says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If the blood of Christ isn't what is going to cover our sins, what else are we going to do? (coughs) And if we just willfully ignore that and, and sin, it's a dangerous place. Especially if we've experienced that freedom that there is in that blood of Christ. It says, but a, fear, but a certain fearful looking for the ju- for the, of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witness. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trod underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. He takes 
and lines up those two things and we recognize that there was that old covenant law that came with Moses. And yes, it is important. And yes, it was valid. And yes, it, it wasn't untrue or an evil thing. It came from God. And it, and yet, well, it tells us in Romans that it is weak because of our flesh, not because there was something wrong with it, but because our flesh, we were unable to keep it. And it tells us here that if someone despised that, or did something against that, and two or three witnesses could testify to that, it was enough to destroy them, enough to have them killed. We now have this new covenant that was set in place by Christ himself and the payment for it was his own blood and the payment for our sins is that blood and that is what and that only that makes us holy and righteous and pure not something that we have done and then if someone says that it's an unholy thing and despises that it says that spirit of grace it is because God is gracious that we're able to have this he set it up because he is a loving and gracious and merciful God and he knows that we are failing beings just sinful flesh and yet he loves us And he did all of this that we could be with him in eternity. That we could be his children here. And that we could experience and have that spirit of God to dwell in us. And we could walk in that freedom and confidence and comfort of that. But it says that if we despise that how much worse is it going to be for that person than even those who despise that Old Testament law? It's, as I said, a very sobering piece of scripture. It tells us a few verses up here what a dangerous thing it is. It says, For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. I don't think that this is something that we need to try and, if I say, make someone pay for. I don't think that that is our place at all. If we see someone who's, if we say, turned their back on God, see someone who's despising this blood of Christ and what it can do for us. If anything, I believe that we should feel sorry for them, that we should pray for them. If given the opportunity, that we would encourage them to look to Christ instead of despising Him. Why? Because as it says, God has said that vengeance is His. He will take care of those things. We don't have to. It says the Lord shall judge his people. We don't have to do that. 
Yes, we make judgment calls about things all the time. We're encouraged to do it through this word of God. Not through our own reasoning, but through the spirit and through the word. But this is one of those judgments that we can leave those things with God. He has said, this is my domain. And we can leave it there. We don't have to straighten out the world. The Bible doesn't say that that's our job. Our job is to encourage people to look to God. To seek what Christ has done. To believe those things. To trust those things. To put their faith in those things. Why? Because if they don't, then God will judge men judge them and as it says in this 31st verse it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God I don't think we can even as people understand or comprehend the fullness of that verse we know that it says Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane sweat as it were great drops of blood And yes, he knew that he was going to face torture and the cross. But I don't think that there's anything that would indicate that that is what was causing him the most problems or the most, I don't know what the word is. If we thought that, or if we want to reason, perhaps that in our mind could be so, let us look at those, and there's, recorded many children of God down through history that have had torture and been burnt and and all those things. And it tells us that in many cases they went to that death praising and singing. How could it be that we as people, or they as people, if I say it that way, can be given that they would have even joy in that in dying for Christ and Jesus would be all troubled about it because his natural flesh was going to face trauma. I think the truth of it is he understands what a, understood what a fearful thing it was to fall into the hands of the living God when you're a sinful being. And he knew that he was to become sin for us. That we could become righteousness, righteous through him. And we do that by faith. And anyone who does not put their faith in Christ falls into the hands of the living God to be judged by those things. And it is not anything that we would want to happen even to our worst enemy. And the Bible encourages us to pray for them, to be loving towards them. Why? Because God is. God does not love the sin that anybody does, but He loves the sinner enough to have paid for that sin that we do through Christ. And simply says, believe that. Trust in that. Put your faith in that. 
would hope that we could at all times, no matter what the devil would want to bring to our thoughts and minds or to distract us or, or to undermine our faith, cause us to fall into sin, that we could remember that this covenant is in place. We have that freedom and that encouragement even to come to that altar of mercy, to seek the forgiveness that is available through what Christ has done for all our sins, all our failures, and that we could believe that, and that we would encourage others to believe that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Should we close with 2.34? And I'll just mention, um, as most of anybody knows, I, I wasn't able to be here for the meeting last week. Um, and I haven't had the time to talk to anyone exactly what happened or what was laid out, so maybe I will try to do that this weekend. But there's one thing that I talked to the Western Mission Board, and they will try to have, see if they can find someone to come near Easter and near Canadian Thanksgiving to come up here. So I'm just waiting to hear, to hear back from them. So, yeah. Is it next Sunday? Okay, well, I'm glad you remembered that. So, yeah, so next Sunday, the collection will go to the Western Mission, so we can remember that. And, and I think I can have Bible study at my place Thursday evening, so, so we'll have Bible study there Thursday evening, 7.30.